0: All right. So uh, back in Jeremiah chapter nine, uh, again, this, uh, this evening, I started to say this morning, but if it's morning, we got a long day ahead of us. Um, so uh, just, just to recap a little bit of what we went over last week. So we're in Jeremiah chapter nine, uh, verses 23 and 24. Um, so let's, let's, just, uh, let's just read from that again. We'll just read that passage one more time. Um, So Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So last week we, we took some time. We looked at the mighty works of God. We looked at it how it, how it transcends down through the generations, starting uh, all the way at creation um, and, and looking at, at how God is so mighty and how he does rule over the earth. And then we looked at how we compare that with human wisdom. And, and, and that the, the one thing that I, that I said last week, and I'll make sure that I say this correct, but the one thing that I said last week that about uh, the wisdom of man is that the wisdom of man is that of insufficient stature. Uh, it leads us down the path of self-reliance and it creates in us a notion of prideful independence. Uh, independence is something that we, that we don't necessarily deem as bad, Uh, But nonetheless, when it becomes prideful uh, and we start leaning on ourselves for that independence instead of an independence given by God, we become prideful about that. and, and And that's when we fall into error. But when you look when you look through the book of Judges, you hear uh, what was going on in those days was there was no king in Israel and the people did what was right in their own eyes. And we know that the outcome of them doing what was right in their own eyes was not good. Right. That was that was bad. Whenever they say that. it says either they did what was pleasing to the Lord or it says they did what was right in their own eyes. And, and I hope that you know the contrast between the two. And usually when they're doing what's wrong or what's doing what's right in their own eyes means that they're doing something wrong. Uh, also remembering uh, from last week, the, the whole idea of this passage being given to Jeremiah in this day, but still using that as a as a guide For us today uh and and that that terminology i used i don't know if you remember or not but i said folks will be folks folks will be folks people will be people and they have been being people and being folks um since the fall right since since the garden since the fall they've been and we've been i i I won't i won't eliminate us completely from that but um But they have been and we have been leaning on our own wisdom and leaning on our own might and our own riches. But having said all of that, there was good news in that, right? There was good news that we don't have to lean on our own wisdom because we're the church of the redeemed and we're children of the Most High. So we have that promise of, of going forward in this, uh, in, in this evening that we kind of already know the end of the story. And, and it's easy for us. Um, we, we, we talked about it a little bit this morning in Sunday school and, and some, some other ways that it's easy for us because we kind of know the story as it's told instead of the story as it's being told. Okay, so we have kind of a hindsight view on things of, of how, it, how it looks. But we still seem as people to repeat those same things over and over again. Thinking about the law in Canada, when you think about that, um, just look back to the Roman Empire. It wasn't like they were sexually pure Okay, the sins back then were of the same. So so when you when you start thinking about that and you start thinking about the good news, because we know kind of the end of the story. But we also know the end of this passage as well, that blessed is he who understands and knows God. And that God is a God that practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness. So let's move on to the next portion of verse 23. The next portion of verse 23 would be about the might of man. And when when speaking of the might and the riches of man, I'm sure that within 30 seconds, it wouldn't take you long, within 30 seconds, you can think of someone, some way, some some association, some government institution, something that has in some way abused their power or exploited someone for self-benefit. The power of influence in the human realm is nothing short of scary. The -the behind-the-scenes handshakes are deceiving and they're unjust. They're hard to reckon. They're they're hard for for those of us that are on this side of the closed door to understand just exactly what they're thinking uh, when those decisions are being made. But sometimes they make these in in the name of advancing science or medicine or even the superiority of the human race. And people use their self-supposed might. And I say self-supposed because nothing that we have is in and of ourselves, even though we might try to believe that sometimes, that, that we've come up with all of these things on our own. But, but all the might that we have is only afforded to us by God, good or bad. That's, that's sometimes the hard part to understand is that sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. It depends on how we use the might and how dedicated we are to the work of God. But the thing about this is most of the time, and, and, and even in the fallen world, even in those kind of situations like we just spoke about, it still has to be done behind closed doors. It still has to be done in the dark, in the back alleyways or some, some way, if you, if you understand what I'm saying, because even if you, if you do all of these bad things right out in the public eye, well, there will be people that stand up and fight against it. There will, I, whether, whether Christian or not, even if you're just talking about human rights, if you're talking about social justice, whatever, people will do that. But there's still a way of using their clout. There's still a way of using the power of influence uh, in the human realm. And although the boasting about this specific deception may be kept quiet and under lock and key, they still get puffed up and they boast in their own accomplishments. Being mighty and of influence, of great influence, is a billion-dollar industry just in this country. Over the last 12 months, it's reported that there were $9.9 billion spent on becoming more successful, more influential, and more wealthy. People strive for it, again, for the same reason as before, independence and self-sufficiency. But the hard part is that this also happens in the church because the church is full of people church is full of sinful people. I mean, that's okay. It's, it's, it's who we are. It, we know that. God has afforded us, again, that wisdom of knowing who we are, and we're thankful for that, but that's the truth, and there's, there's favoritism shown to the big givers. There's, there's favoritism and, and special treatment given to if you have the right last name or, or uh, regardless of truth, and sometimes it happens between, behind closed doors, but sometimes it happens right from the pulpit. Think. Thank God that we attend a church where we have great leadership and we have great pastors that bring the truth of God to us on a a weekly basis, three times a week, uh, Sundays and and Wednesdays, and then all the other Bible studies and the ministries that, that happen from here. But the evangelical church sometimes will lead people astray and they have influence you know the, the, this this quote that I see all the time as uh, on on Facebook. I, I, I just said that out loud that I get on there, but I just forget that I said that. But I but I I do from time to time, and 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 so it says we should lift our pastors up in our prayers instead of putting them on a pedestal because they can fall off of a pedestal. Okay. So, so in, that, in that whole thing, though, there's a lot of pastors that, and there's a lot of preachers, there's a lot of televangelists, however you want to label them, that they strive for money and fame and salvation owed to a pastor instead of to God. And his pronouncement of salvation. Here's a, here's, a quick, here's a quick example. Just listen to this. It may sound familiar to you, uh, but just listen to this. And I'm going to read it so I make sure I say it exactly right. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sins. Come into my heart. I make you my Lord and Savior. If I could speak with a real high-pitched Texas accent, it would make this even more real. Friends, if you prayed that simple prayer, we believe you got born again get in a good Bible-based church and keep God first and God will take you places you never dreamed of. The best advice old Joel gives there is be in a good Bible-based church and keep God first. However, this is so flawed on so many different levels. Uh, almost a command of God to come into your heart. Almost a, a we make you our Lord and Savior. There, there's, there's, just, there's just terminologies there that, could, that are too flawed. But without going too deep into that, this, this has gained this man some sort of notoriety. If you've ever seen the place where he preaches on a regular basis, the amount of people. It's made him some kind of spiritual leader and seems to have made him, to some people, the voice of God. But this wisdom and might that he's proclaiming is so attractive to people because it promises riches and blessings. A, a focus on what we can get rather than what we offer up. Remember in Romans 12, we're told not to stand there with our hands out waiting, but we're to, we're to pr- present ourselves as living sacrifices. And then it says to not be conformed to this world. In, in the same way, the riches of man are just as debilitating. There's a warning here, and it is for good reason. People love to brag on their stuff. I, I, tell, I, I like to talk about what I have. I'm not going to lie to you. I, when I get a new truck, I like to tell people, hey, I got a new truck. You know, when I, I build new houses for a living, when people get their new house, they, they talk about it. They, they, they talk about these things. But we have to be careful how we talk about them. Right. And we're not we're not boasting in them. We're not putting our self-reliance in those things. We're happy that we're blessed with them, but we're not not saying that that is what we put our dependence on. But people love to brag on their stuff, their power and their money. And it doesn't matter how much they get. They always want more. Always want more. So using the three, the wisdom, the might, and the riches, we see that the more one has, the more they want. They felt a sensation of the supposed self-earned money. They have felt the popularity of having social power. And they have been fed with this tasty little morsel of self-gratification. And they, gain, and they gain wisdom, and then their peers look at them as smart and learned. It does not take one long to see the breakdown when someone depends on their own wisdom, when they depend on their own power, and they depend on their own riches. But don't hear me wrong. Don't hear me wrong. Wisdom that's given in everyday life is not bad. That's, that's the providence of God as he's, as he's working in your life and he's teaching you things. He's, he's, he's teaching you how to, to, to do your job. Everyone has a trade. They, they, there's, there's different ways that God is teaching you things and, and through his hand moving throughout his creation and showing you these things. Wisdom by everyday living is not bad. Power and influence, it's not bad. You use it the right way. You can be influential in someone's life in a good way. That can happen. You, you share the gospel with them at first, but, but even if it goes on past that, even if you're just a helping hand and, and you show, uh, say you show a young teenage kid how to mow his grass and care for his grandma or something like that, you can be influential in people's lives and not be bad. And you can have money. There's nothing wrong with having money. Just use it properly. And don't put your faith in it. Okay, that's the the difference. So that's what he's saying in verse 23 is, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, leaning on his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might, leaning on his own might. And let not the rich man boast in his riches, leaning on his own riches. But instead, we lean on the wisdom of, and the might and the riches of God. So as we move forward, we've been to verse 24. In verse 24, he says, But let him who boasts boast in this, that, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord." So in verse 24, it says that we should boast in this, that we understand and know God. But what does it mean to understand and know him? There are three qualities that are mentioned in this passage, uh, three characteristics of God. uh, And maybe a, maybe a, 30,000 foot view over this as we move on along, kind of a hovering explanation um, of what these mean. And it's steadfast love, it's justice, and it's righteousness. And we can know God. Obviously, it says that we can. We can understand him and we can know him. But it first must be said that there is not a human on this planet, nor a human that will ever come, or even one that's already passed on that could ever say that they know God fully. The only thing that we can do is keep learning about the triune God. But He is so mighty and He is so wonderful that even when we have been there 10,000 years, right? That's what the hymn says. Even when we've been there 10,000 years, we still will not grasp the fullness of God. He is so mighty and so wonderful. But this is okay. This is not bad. It's okay for this. It's, we take comfort in this, that, that we serve a God that is knowable, but not fully knowable. W- would you serve a God that you can know everything about? Would you feel as secure knowing that you could understand the full essence of your God? There's only one way that you can do that, and that's when you create your own God in your own mind. Because you've created the characteristics and the attributes that that God is known by. But there's a difference. Our God Yahweh Jehovah is not created by his attributes as some sort of formulation or some formation from from all these characteristics that somehow form up and, and you know like, like like transformers I don't know well, I don't know if you know transformers or not but if you do uh, you know and all of them come together and they make this one uh, you know maybe Power Rangers maybe you know Power Rangers better um, you know Power Rangers they they all come together and they form this one big you know that's not not God, that's not Him. He's not formed by all of his attributes, yet His attributes stem from who He is. There's a difference. There's a difference between the Creator knowing all there is to know about His creation, which He does, and the creation being unable to know all there is to know of the Creator. In other words, we can know God, but we cannot comprehend God. And, and I say comprehend using the true definition of comprehend is to fully understand him, perfectly understand him. Uh, in, in my, in my everyday trade of, of making a living. I, I, I mentioned before I, I build houses and, and uh, we have some Latino guys that work for me and we use the word comprende, right? And, and what I, when I ask them if they comprende, do you comprende? I want to know, do you fully understand everything that I just asked you to do? Do you, do you get it? They will always say yes. And, and I always did too. Do you, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, 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 I know. And then I would still, uh, I'd still fall short somewhere. And, and, but but that's the way that we look at it. That's, how, that's the, the comprehending of God is the fullness, the fullness of understanding Him. The theologians have titled this attribute as the incomprehensibility of God. It's a big word that means unable to comprehend. However, there are many ways that we can know God and the three that are listed in this passage are of utmost importance his steadfast love, his justice, and his righteousness. And for the sake of explanation, bear with me, I'm going to go backwards. So I'm going to start with righteousness. And I know we could, we could breeze right through this by simply stating that God is always right. He doesn't make mistakes. Amen. He doesn't make mistakes. And we would be correct in that statement. But why do we want to stop there? Don't we as Christians... Have the desire to know more? Know more of the depths of God? More of his righteousness? So what is the righteousness of God? The very essence of God, his very being, is righteous. Meaning, yes, that he cannot do wrong, but that because he is the uncreated creator, he also has established what is right and wrong. Not that, it would, not that it would mean anything, but as a mode of comparison, we establish rules too. But the thing is, in our very essence, is the ability to do wrong. But with God in his very essence, he can be nothing except right. Nothing except righteous. He's not restricted by the bondage of the fall as we are, and he is altogether righteous. And his righteous existence as God and ruler of all things, so too is his justice based. There's a common view that seems to want to abolish justice, or or let me say it this way, that wants to abolish judgment, not at our level, but at God's level. We we don't want a a holy and a righteous God to judge us and we don't want our neighbors to judge us either. But we want to we want to do that, you know, because because if you've ever sat in the seat of injustice, uh, you'll, you'll know that that there's nothing wrong with justice. There's nothing wrong with that. but we want to abolish that judgment from God. Uh, it, it, it leads to, or, or it stems from, or, and can do both, um, atheist belief or, or agnosticism, which I think is still just atheism, just with a different name. And, and then also universalism. We were listening to a, a, a sermon by R.C. Sproul uh, last week. I think it was last week, maybe two weeks ago. And uh, <laughs> we believe in justification by faith. That's what we believe. We stand firm on that. We stand firm on the doctrines of grace, but we believe in justification by faith. And, and the way R.C. was talking about this was, uh, I think it's OK if I call him R.C., I'll, I'll say that. But uh, he, he called it justification by death. Basically meaning everybody that dies is justified and going to heaven. That's that's not what he believes. OK, let me let me make sure that you know that if, if, if you know R.C. Sproul and you've heard his teaching, you know, that's not what he believes. But what he's saying is there's this common view that we want to abolish judgment. We don't want anybody to have to sit under the judgment of a righteous God. We just want him to be a all loving God and just everybody just gets to come in. But we know the word and we know that's not what the word says. But it leads, that kind of belief leads to this water hole, watering hole full of feel goods and sensations, goosebumps and tingly feelings. That when the thought of how a loving God could judge a person for their own decisions based on how they were created, people don't like to hear that. But this is where the truth of justice comes into play, and there is no injustice in God. But injustice resides in the mind of man. Again, going back to that, let us not boast on the wisdom of man. Let us not boast in our own might or in our own riches. For some reason, we have used our own wisdom to conjure up this idea that as long as we do right and say the right things, or maybe get a little fish sticker for the back of our car, or something like that, Say the right things like, I make you my Lord and Savior, come into my life. The list can go on, on, but we, we feel like as long as we just say those right little phrases and those right little things that, that we're okay. And I was brought a question, I believe last week, uh, at a Bible study about, about the judgment of God and about if God is using COVID to judge America. And at first glance, when, when I think judgment, as is probably the case with most of you here, and, and maybe not, if, if not, I apologize for throwing you into that group, but we think of the great throne judgment. We think of this, this, this final judgment uh, that is to come. However, if we think on a smaller scale, not a smaller God, but instead of the final judgment, a judgment that's part of a process, a process of sanctification. What about that? What if God is judging us and growing us, a process of sanctification or, or perhaps a process of hardening? As people are, are, are chastised, especially by God, Right? That everybody has, I say everybody, I don't, and I hope you don't, but it seems like everybody has a, a beef with God. Like there's a problem. Like they don't, they don't want Him, they don't want Him judging them and, and and this loving God. But as people are chastised, they react in one of two ways. They either grow in sanctification, becoming more focused and repentant, knowing who they are or they become more resentful and hardened. Look at Egypt. Look look at Pharaoh for just a quick example. As as the Exodus account, the plagues that are coming, it establishes his, his, his wisdom and his rule and his sovereignty with his people, but with the others it hardens says i mean god is is very clear in his word that he hardened pharaoh's heart and and that is a method that he used to do that so is is could god judge or or let me say it like this would god be just in his judging america or any other nation for their collective falling away from him well yeah sure he's god right God is righteous, and any time he decides to judge, he's right to do so. Could we grow from it? I have. Personally, I can say that I have grown from God's judgment. From his discipline on my life, I have grown. I I have become someone different than I used to be. Amen? So... Why in this passage are we reminding about his justice? He says, let him, boast, let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness. Well, if you flip back one page, and we'll pick up in chapter 9, verse 2, these people need to be reminded of justice as well. They needed to be reminded that God does judge. The people of this day seem to have forgotten God is a righteous God and justice is who he is. And judgment must take place. Listen to this starting in verse 2 of chapter 9 in Jeremiah. Oh, that I had in the desert a traveler's lodging place that I might leave my people and go away from them, for they are all adulterers, a company of treacherous men. They bend their tongue like a, like a bow. Falsehood and not truth has grown strong in the land, for they proceed from evil to evil, and they do not know me, declares the Lord. Let everyone beware of his neighbor and put no trust in any brother, for every brother is a deceiver, and every neighbor goes about as a slander. Everyone deceives his neighbor and no one speaks the truth. They have taught their tongue to speak lies. They weary themselves committing iniquity, heaping oppression upon oppression and deceit upon deceit. They refuse to know me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts Behold, I will refine them and test them. For what else can I do because of my people? Their tongue is a deadly arrow, it speaks deceitfully. With his mouth, each speaks peace to his neighbor, but in his heart, he plans an ambush for him. Is God right to judge? I say God is right to do whatever God wants to do. The people of this day and the people of that day seem to have forgotten God is righteous. In those verses, he's, he, God has described these people and the refining fire of judgment is getting, getting close. It's okay. God, please refine me. It's okay. Let, I, it's, that's not bad. Let us not look on that as being some kind of torture or something. As through the fire, we get rid of the dross, right? And we come out better than we were. But again, taking the next attribute into sight, God is love. But it is a just love. And make no mistake, there is not one person, past or present or future, that will not face judgment. You will give account for the things you did based on what you know. Uh Uh-oh. There we go. Based on what you know. But I've been railing for two Sundays in a row to not lean on what you know. But that is on your own wisdom, on your own might, and your own riches. Without going deep into this, there's not one without excuse. God has made himself known through what we call a general revelation in creation so that no man will be without cause to believe. Yes, even the one that has never heard the gospel audibly shared through the human tongue will be without excuse. Because he or she lives in a created world that has a divine creator. But, Christian brother and sister, we have received a different kind of knowledge. A knowledge not based on and in the heads of men, but a knowledge of heart and mind. A knowledge of judgment and righteousness of which I would argue with old Joel and say that at the time when you were able to receive these truths, the regeneration of your heart or the rebirth, that's when you were born again, not when you said the fancy prayer. But the holy God of creation, the one who is righteous and just, where right judgment and the right to judge resides, has given you a gift of knowledge, a knowledge of God and of eternal salvation. A knowledge of steadfast love that has been patient with us in our failings and has not stopped loving us. Amen. He's not stopped loving us. Look at the steadfast love that he has rescued you from righteous judgment where the blood of Christ has made you righteous. God's love is not failing. Remember the other verse in Isaiah, that God's word will accomplish all that it sets out to accomplish. It will not return void. Well, so is his justice, and so is his salvation, and so is his love. They are effective. And what I mean by that is they will not fail. It is an effectual calling. We might say an irresistible grace, but it's an effectual calling that it will not fail. There is no injustice in the judgment of people by a righteous God but in mercy and love he redeems the sinner. This is the knowledge we cling to. This is not the knowledge of man because no man could ever explain this without it first being in his heart. I have a quote. I, I don't know how many of you are problem solvers in here but um, when you, when you have a problem to solve, it seems like every corner you turn, you, you, you seem to get an idea about how to solve the problem, whether it's a, a broken down car or a, a leaky faucet or whatever it might be. There's, a, there's an idea. Well, I've been doing that over the last week. So in some of my studies over the last week, uh, I've, I've had to read this, this quote uh, from a theologian with the last name Bovnik. It's uh, Harvey Bovnik, Herman Bovnik, I'm sorry listen to this quote that he says once we have received the principle of eternal life in our hearts we cannot but long always to know more of him who granted us that life but we cannot explain that salvation unless it is residing in our hearts I'm very much aware that this could have worked the other way. I could have explained this as God shows his steadfast love and his justice and he hands down justice righteously, which he does. And that's not a, a false statement. But I wanted to end with the good news. That if this specific knowledge has been made available to you, this knowledge of the righteousness of God shown in his judgment and his steadfast love in his mercy to save a sinner from a hell bound path to destruction. Then just like the man that boasts on his wisdom and might and riches and wants more and more of them. Should we not boast in this and want more of it? Does God's righteousness and judgment not help you grow and produce assurance? And does his love not comfort you as you go through the growing pains? as you are pleasing God through your living sacrifice and leaving alone the wisdom and the might and the riches of the world and renewing your mind in the ways and wisdom of God so that you can know his perfect will, let us boast in this because in this the Lord delights. And the Lord can only delight in himself because there is nothing higher than himself. And love Justice and righteousness is who he is. The knowledge of God gave us life, but the life that was given leads us back to the knowledge of him. The scripture. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might and let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. Church, let us boast in this, that we understand and know God. And that he is the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness in the earth. And in those things he delights. Amen. I do want to do something a little different. If you would, if everyone has a hymnal in front of you. I would like for you to, in the back of the hymnal, if you're familiar with it, uh, there's responsive readings in the back of the hymnal. And I'd like for you to turn to responsive reading 674. It's responsive reading 674. This This is based out of Psalm 98 Uh, 34 verses 1 and 3. I'll read the light print and then we'll all read the bold. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it the world, and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, we have opened your word and we have studied to know more of you. We're so thankful for your love and your justice and your righteousness. Let us go out with your praise on our lips and let us do that together. Let us be accountable to one another to to keep your praise on our lips as we go from this place and we proclaim it to the world.